You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Okay, let's move okay. on to the real so, Ryan, tell us what happened in our world in the past however long season since March last year. Yeah, I mean, you guys lived through it, right? Was there a little bit of craziness in our world? And, you know, as a mental health professional, obviously, I talk to my colleagues, and across the board, we all see a spike in, like, what we call um, pathologies, right, like problems, in, in rage, like guys saying, man, I haven't struggled with rage in years, but for some reason it's coming out, or women struggling with control, or, or like, these issues are coming out, but, but overarching, we see these three things stand out, and they really make sense when you think about this pandemic that we've been through, right, which is at least twofold. It's viral. That was real. There's a bug. That's true. And there's a fear pandemic, which in my mind has done a lot of devastation that we have not been tolling. We haven't been paying attention well to that devastation. And we're seeing it come out in three ways prominently, like the three that really stand out. First being anxiety, because our nervous system, it's, it's an incredible uh, incredibly well-designed machine to handle threat. Y'all can handle danger. You know that, that God designed you to be able to tolerate uncertainty. We can't tolerate uncertainty in perpetua, right? We can't just live in unsafety. And so what we do is we have this great little mechanism in our nervous system where we perceive a threat and our brain lets us know, right? It's actually your limbic stem that perceives threat, and your limbic sprint taps you on the shoulder. And, and then what that tap feels like, it maybe feels like, like tightness in your chest or it feels like your face is flushed or it feels like this anxiety, this cortisol you can feel going through your body. And maybe you're shaking because there's adrenaline. And it's your brain, it's your limbic brain trying to tell you, whoa, we think there might be something dangerous going on. And when that threat isn't visceral and concrete and in front of you, like you're, you're walking through the woods. I was telling them in, in the... In the other service, just recently, I was walking on this trail, and I walked right into a bunch of bees. And I have, if y'all were at the marriage retreat, I told some stories. I have a really weird history with being stung. I've been stung up my pants three different times in three different occasions. And so it sends, a little, it sends a little anxiety through my system when I, when I hear buzzing. A lot of people are, like, ultra cool. My nine-year-old is like, why are you running, Dad? Um, but there's a threat response and my, I feel this anxiety in my body, and I, I start running. I obviously leave my kids behind. I start running, because they're not scared of bees. I don't want them to be scared of bees. And uh, I run for, like, you know, 50 yards, and then I calm down, and I'm breathing hard now, and all that adrenaline in my system, all that cortisol, it's starting to be metabolized. My brain has this threat, response, return to homeostasis cycle that it completes. And when we live in a society where the threat is intangible, the threat is fear, and it's a threat that you're not allowed to name. We are going through a pandemic where we're not allowed to say, whoa, this feels like a panic response, and and you get shunned for saying that. Then that threat, it stays unresolved in our nervous system, and it accumulates, and so we we see really, really high levels of anxiety. Um, What we would call disordered anxiety, meaning like, now I can't shake it off, it's every day. High levels of depression, which is really important to understand. That's, a, that's a, an appropriate response to an unsustainable state in your nervous system. If, you're, if your nervous system is staying elevated for too long, your brain says, well, we can't do this any longer. And you can't just numb anxiety. You can't just numb the anger that comes with a sense of injustice. You only can numb 
the whole system. And so your brain turns on that safety, uh, what do you call it when an electric grid when they, it turns it off? Panel. There's a, there's a. Breaker. The breaker. Your brain hits that breaker. I've never thought of that metaphor, but it's perfect for what I'm talking about. I'm going to use that. Thank you, y'all. Uh, your brain hits the depression breaker, and then your, your brain starts to, to shut down to conserve energy. And that can come out in different ways for different people. The classic form of depression that we're really used to seeing is this, like, sadness, this defeated feeling. I feel unmotivated. I don't take joy in my kids. I don't take joy in my, my hobbies, maybe, or my work. And I just I wake up feeling dark about the whole day. Most commonly, depression does not surface that way in men. More often than not, depression surfaces in men because men are conditioned from a very, very young age that weakness and emotion are parallels. They're equals. So that if I feel fear or if I feel hurt, I fell down in the football game and now I'm sad, we tell them to walk it off. And I'm not saying that's fundamentally wrong, right? Like we also need to teach resilience to our kids. But it's so heavily conditioned that in men... They deny that emotion, and it comes out as anger. And so a lot of men have been coming into my office with this fear like, man, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just feel angry. And my wife will say, like, why are you so angry? And they start to internalize that. No, 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 you are not an angry person. Your brain is trying to breathe underwater, and it can't do that for very long, and it's coming out as anger. So there's a, what was the verse that we were talking about before? The Romans. Romans. What was it? Which one? Eight something. That we were creating, oh, about uh, lack of understanding. Oh, that's Hosea. Thank you. Um, where the, the prophet Hosea is speaking for the Lord and he speaks to Israel and he says, my people are destroyed. That's the NIV. My people are destroyed because they lack understanding. Some versions say knowledge. Some versions say vision. Meaning, I'm carrying this depression in my nervous system, and I think there's something wrong with me. I look at the people around me, and I think, man, you guys seem to be thriving. God seems to be moving in your life. God seems to show up to your prayers, and I feel defeated and angry and alone. And because I misunderstand what my nervous system is trying to tell me, I stay in the light, and I, I get destroyed by this. We're, we're just understanding, oh, no, 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 you're not broken. Nothing has gone wrong. You are living in a social panic, and your nervous system is trying to tell you that you can't do that anymore, and we need to start caring for the underlying need. Does that make sense? And, yeah. you know, and just to give that, you know, why we're bringing this up is one day, you know, you got to know what your triggers are. So I'm like, why am I walking on eggshells around my wife? Mm. And I bring it up, and it doesn't go well. All right, let's go see Brian. We got to process this, and then you can yeah. tell your side. Yeah, so it's good to know this because all of us have reacted differently to this, the society that we live in and the season that we lived in. And if you're having feelings come up that you're like, this is not me or this is not like how I normally am, then what I, what I did is I'm like, oh my gosh, Brian, I don't, this is not like me. I'm feeling this way. I'm saying these weird things. I'm thinking these weird things. Like this is not who I am. You're married to sunshine. And I'm married to sunshine. How does this even happen? Like I'm I post in a church. Lot. I have great positive friends. My husband is like the sunshine maker. I, he makes it rain sunshine in my house. He has music on BPM 4000 every moment of every day. I have no excuse to have these feelings. Well, Brian, thank you, Jesus, showed me that 
you can explain what actually happened like physically with the central nervous system and all that crazy stuff. Because I got so much peace because he said, you're going through depression. And at first I was like, no, I'm not. I'm not a depressed person. That's so weird. And it took me probably 24 hours for it to actually hit me what that meant is because depression looks different on everyone. The instant um, image that came in my head was like, a girl locked in her room, like trying to cut herself. I'm like, that was my like perception of this. And I'm like, that's not me. But once he described what was going on and how I was feeling, how it was affecting my life, my marriage, my kids, everything. Um, and I alluded to it a little bit last time I preached, but it was a state that I felt like I was out of control of. I'm like, how do I fix this? What do I do? I can't like, there's saying all these positive things, affirmations, like nothing's working. But once he was able to explain what was going on, I was, I became, um, less victim to it, and I could realize the power I had over it. So I could recognize it, pray against it, come in agreement with my husband, um, and we could stand together so that I could overcome that season that I was going through, which is a really powerful thing if you're facing something that it's, you are not defined by it. And I realized I'm not defined by this. I'm going through this, and I'm going to come out stronger from it if I can learn these um, powerful tools to not get myself in that situation again. What the heck? So good. You know, and I, and I would say being a husband, you know, when you hear someone articulated in a way when I first heard like, oh, your wife's depressed. I'm like, that's impossible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We go to the most epic church. We have great friends. I mean, I'm praying for every, I mean, there, this cannot. She's married to me. Yeah. I mean, all that stuff didn't work, but it was amazing <laughs> to go hear that and him explain it. I'm going to tell you because the devil, you know, wants to try to get us to isolate, to not emit our emotions uh, you know, you see gaming's gone through the roof. Guys go just to their, you know, uh, you know, cell phones, uh, social media, or gaming, and, we, and we, we just try to quiet. You know, I've never looked at Redfin so much in my life in 2020. It was like a Redfin addiction. That's looking at homes, people. Man, you guys are quiet. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and and it's, it's almost like, what are we doing? Coping mechanisms. And then when you exposed it, it's like an aha moment. But tell us, you know, how do we help expose some of those things to give real strategies, real hope, real breakthrough for people that are still walking that, they're in the middle of that valley and not yet to the other side? Man, I think one of the most powerful things we can do is what you guys are doing right now is we allow others to see our struggle because it creates permission. It creates permission for us to be going through something. There's so much power in our ability to name struggle, it says that confess, if we confess our sins one to another, we will be what? Healed. There is incredible power in naming struggle. The word confession, right? Like we read a translation of God's word, which is, is breathed by the Holy Spirit. It's reliable, but it's a translation that word confession has this rich, deeper meaning that we kind of lose because confession for us has this religious stigma to it, doesn't it? It has this, this sense of like, oh, I'm, I have to go tell somebody what a piece of crap I am again. <laughs> confession means con to stand, uh, or I'm sorry, um, con to, with, a withness, right? An alignment to align myself with something. Fasore, confession, fasore means to stand, so when, we, when the Bible says to confess, what it's saying is it is time for you to stand 
in agreement with what God says is true about who you are. So as, as a guy who struggles maybe with pornography, and it's like, and I haven't struggled with this in a long time, and now it's come up again, and there's all this shame. It's like, man, I, I've, I've been through all of these struggles, and I've, I've told my accountability partners how much redemption or how much victory and how much strength I've gotten in my life and to go back to them. They don't need to know about this. It's no big deal. And what I just did is I stood in agreement with the sin. I said, this sin reflects something authentic about who I am because it has power over me. So when I go to my brother and I say, you know what, man, I haven't struggled with this in a long time, but there've been a couple of times in the last couple of weeks where I've looked at some stuff I shouldn't be looking at. What I'm doing is I'm standing in agreement with what God says about me, and I'm saying this behavior is incongruent with who I am, and I refuse to participate in it. There's incredible power in naming our struggle. Not just cognitive neuropower, right? Like my limbic brain, like we were talking about before. I don't, I can't, I'm mixing up all the services. We might not have even said this before. When we... I like to say that the most powerful prayer is the way that we live. And I say that for two reasons. One, it's the embodied prayer. It's the incarnational prayer of my life. I can hear somebody pray, something prayed over me and receive it. I can speak it and take it a degree further, but that prayer isn't complete until I walk it out. And so when we think about the, the impact on the brain, particularly the limbic brain, the part of your brain that isn't logically processing things, the part of your brain that senses danger and safety, that's all your limbic brain cares about. When I say, man, I, hey, everybody struggles, no big deal, some, you know, you, you have some sin in your life, you just confess it, no big deal, and then I don't, my limbic brain doesn't care about that nice little sermon I just preached, all it cares about is, oop, Brian treated that behavior as dangerous. It is dangerous. We need to hide it. And so through my life, I'm praying defeat. I'm praying the power of that thing over my life just by hiding it. Um, I and that could be with anything. That could be with, that could be with money. That could be with addiction. That could be with anger. That could be with alcohol. It could be, we can hide all that stuff. Exactly. So when we think about all the different ways... The, the tension that you've been holding in your nervous system, and maybe you're well aware of it, maybe you're talking about it, maybe you're expressing it, maybe you're working it out, you see it, and sometimes you're like, I can tell that I'm over threshold, I'm going to go for a run, I'm going to go for a walk, I'm going to do some yoga, maybe there's other times you're like, I need, to, I need to talk to somebody about this, I need to like ask my partner to reassure me, I need to uh, talk with my friend about some stress I'm going, and maybe we've denied that. We've denied what's going on. One of the most powerful things we can do is acknowledge to our friends, our family, our loved ones that we're struggling. Because not only do we start to separate ourselves from the struggle, the struggle, like Michaela said, is something I am going through. It is not something that I am. You are not depressed. You are going through depression. I'm really careful with the way I talk to my kids. They'll be like, Daddy, I'm angry. I was like, oh, you're feeling a lot of anger. Huh? I want, I'm not necessarily going to tell my eight-year-old that she's not allowed to say that she's angry, but I am going to let her hear me reflect it back to you. There's two things here. There's you, and there's a valid experience that you're having, but you are not the anger. You are not the sadness. You are not the defeat. And we separate ourselves. By speaking it out, we separate ourselves from that experience, and we also give them permission. We say, oh, man, even hearing you, like, I get it. There have been nights where... I crawling into bed and I, I can't sleep because there's all this anxiety in my body or there's nights where all I want to do is go to sleep forever and I don't want to wake up. And we give this permission to name what we're going through. Tell that story about this morning and your wife, the one where I said I suck. So we, what, you said you suck? I was like, I suck. 
<laughs> like I wish that's I could do that. That's what you said when I was said. talking. Oh, was so Everybody good. started laughing. I cried. Like, what this just is happened? so. That bar, raise the bar for all of us. Dear so we, Lord. When we talk about, like I was saying before, unresolved anxiety gets stored in your nervous system. Your nervous system is much more honest than you are about how you're doing. Your body always tells the truth about how you're doing. So when we are going through something and we don't have the opportunity to process that, it might be physical process like I you know, run from the bees and my body is physically resolving the threat. I'm saying, okay, I've run away. Okay, my, my kids are okay too. <laughs> They're coming. <laughs> they know about my anxieties. They, they understand. Uh, or an emotional threat. And I'm, I'm creating spaces for myself to be verbally naming and processing that. That we want to complete that loop, meaning, okay, so this morning... I'm getting ready to come spend time with you guys, which might legitimately be my all-time favorite thing to do. This is the most fun. I get to speak in a lot of churches and a lot of clinics. This is the most fun I ever get to have. And every single time I get to come speak to you guys, anxiety right at the last second, it goes from nothing, 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 then boom, and it just hits me. This is not what I do every day. This is scary to me. I love it. I believe God's called me to it. I see God working in it, but it scares the junk out of me. So I'm kind of in this frenetic state. I'm getting my stuff together. I have my bag. I'm like about to run out the door. My kids are, and my wife are going to leave a little bit later because I wanted to get there early, to get here early. And there's this little part of my brain that says, Brian, go resource. There's this little part of my brain that is paying attention to my body, and it's saying, you are not grounded. You are tense, and you're anxious, and you're trying to distract yourself, and you're paying attention to all these things that don't matter. Go use the most powerful resource you have, and go ask your wife to reassure you. And then there's this other part of my brain that's like, you don't need that. <laughs> I, need feel that. Dumb. I need that. I need that. That's a superpower right there. And there's this other part of my brain that says, you don't want to feel that right now. You don't want to lean into that right now. What if she talks too long and then you're just sitting there waiting for her to wrap it up? There's just all these things in my brain trying to push away, getting in touch with what I am trying to deny. Not Brian, my brain. And so I walked upstairs and I just put my bag down. She's like, what's wrong? I said, and my eyes start to water a little bit. Will you, just, will you just tell me that you believe in me? And we've done this before, so she knows, right? If I had never done that before, she'd be like, in Jesus' name. But she knows what to do, so she just put her arms around me, and she said, Brian, I believe in you. You are called to this. I've seen God work through you. And you know what? Even if you have diarrhea in the middle of the thing and it goes terrible and it's a total tragedy, I still believe in you and you are amazing and God uses you and you are still the king in this castle. And I... And Wife, just did like, you take notes, by the way? That would make any man's dreams come true, just saying that right there. Just tell me. And that's, a, just to be, I want to name, that's an act of, that's a, that's a lot of vulnerability, right? Not just for me. It's also vulnerable for my wife to respond to that because how many times, guys, does your wife turn to you and say, will you tell me that you love me? And, and it's, you feel like deer in headlights, right? Like she just said, 
somewhere on the other side of that fog, there's a target. And she hands you a bow and arrow and she says, will you hit that for me? It's, it can be, if you're not, if that isn't a well-oiled wheel, that can be a scary thing to do. And I do, truth be told, like, what happens by the time she's done talking to me, it took eight seconds, and there's tears coming down my face, and I can feel the release in my nervous system, and now I'm ready to come and enjoy whatever God has for us together, right? Because, because I'm able, if, because it feels safe enough to myself to name, ooh, I'm suffering, I'm carrying something. I'm holding something I'm not meant to carry. I'm holding anxiety or fear. And we all have that resource. How is it? it it's almost like as a man, it's so hard to admit that. Yeah. Like, but I, I, it's like as soon as you go admit that, it's like, why can't I do that? Because I want my wife to tell me that. But you moved and then she moved. Right. I had to do two things. I had to first name what was actually wrong. Because what I'm going to do, if I don't actually check in, oh, I'm feeling anxious because I want everybody to feel like I was helpful. I want them to think highly of me. I want to look good, right? All of this ego anxiety, I'm carrying that. If I can't name that, what am I going to do? I'm going to say, I'm not prepared enough. Or, um, man, why can't Sarah take care of the kids? I'm, they, keep talk, they keep trying to like, ask me to help them get dressed or ask me for breakfast. Like, and I'm going to project that anxiety somewhere else. So the first thing, I have to be honest with myself. And then... I need to bring it, I need to bring my need to my wife as a need that I have, not a deficit of hers, which is how it usually comes out, huh? When our, our pain comes out, it usually, it feels much safer to be like, really, you can't, um, you can't just kind of wrangle the kids so that I can focus on what I'm doing, really? And it comes out in a tone that feels accusational or frustrated or tense. But for me to be able to go to my wife and say, I need to tell you something about me. This isn't about your failure. This isn't about something that you're lacking or you're not a need that you're not meeting in my life. I need to tell you something about me, which is exactly the same as when we're in a conflict with each other. Like let's say uh, somebody like overspent in part of our budget and now we're trying to have a problem solving conversation about what went wrong. And instead of being able to turn to you and say, okay, this is getting tenser and tenser and tenser as we talk about it. Is the real problem the fact that somebody overspent, probably not. We can deal with like a couple of hundred dollars here or there. The real problem is that I feel like I can't trust you or I feel like my voice and my needs or my sense of security or my vision or my hard work doesn't matter to you. And unless I'm able to name that, we, we try and have that conversation in code about the problem of the day, whether it's laundry or money or fill in the blank. Yeah. A lot of code going on in church. A lot church. of code. We're done with code. Decode it. Decode it. That's right. Hmm. <laughs> Let's get open a you can of like worms. How I like totally just let myself talk and then do something with that. And I just yeah. give it back to you. Yeah, no, it's so no. good. I'm like literally need my notepad. That's, this is incredible. Yeah, yeah no, this, it, and it does help us. And, and I think that's the problem because we, we, we're a faith church. We're fresh, real, and powerful. And so we can come in full of faith. We're going after the book of miracles. We, and so it's almost like if we have this problem, I can see as, you know, Christians, we're like, oh, we must not have the faith. Right. You know, and I, I, I hear a lot of us beating ourselves up over, I just need more faith. I just need more faith. Can you speak into that? Because it's not that we need more faith. No, what, um, man, that verse came up in our last, uh, knowledge, our, knowledge. 
that in um, Hosea, I think it's where it says, my people perish for lack of knowledge, which is pretty astounding because what it doesn't say in that verse is my people perish for lack of faith. And we can sit in those seats. In fact, we're probably not sitting in those seats, even if I haven't, like my heart hasn't yet readied enough and I'm not ready to acknowledge to my fa- the fact that I believe in God, acknowledge the fact that my heart knows God's love is the path to life. I might not be even ready to name that, but if I'm sitting in these seats, let's be honest, our heart has a seed of faith in there that it's actually the fact that I misinterpret the alarm system, that when I'm going through something like depression, like anxiety, like compulsive behaviors, I'm, I'm spending too much time with something or I'm abusing a substance, that if I give that thing all the energy and I try harder and I, w- I try and willpower my way through it, that I'm actually, it's a kind of fetishizing. It's a kind of, I'm actually giving the phone all of this power in my life that it doesn't really have. When in reality, if I can realize, oh, my brain is seeking down regulation. It's seeking something to calm down my nervous system. My nervous system is cranking way up. Do you know that your nervous system is an electrical grid? It runs on electricity. And our, our nervous system is meant to maintain a certain level. And it's meant to spike when there's a threat or an amazing excitement. It's meant to dip when you go to sleep or there is um, a, really, a really close proximity, like an intimate moment. But it's meant to stay in this nervous, in this, like, in this, uh, what we call the green. And we think, okay, I'm, I'm spiking. That must mean I'm struggling with this thing. That must mean I don't have enough faith. Or maybe my prayer didn't work. Or maybe I didn't really mean it when I went down to the altar. We say, no, 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 no. Before we rush to the solution, we have to listen to the wisdom of the pain. We have to understand what is this struggle trying to teach me. If I'm struggling with an addiction, before I expect myself to be able to withstand the, um, the neuropathway, the impulse to use that addiction, I have to understand what my brain is trying to cope with. And so I'm not saying don't go seek help. If you're struggling with addiction, don't waste time reflecting on it. Go to people, get stability, get people accountability in your life. Don't be alone in it, but don't expect the addiction to like fall off of you. You can have all the faith in the world, but God is trying to teach you something through the addiction too. God uses all things. That was the Romans verse. God uses all things, even fear pandemics, even COVID, even your addiction. He uses all things to say, look, there's a belief. You might not know it yet. There's a belief deep down that if you don't get a certain income, if you don't look this way, if you don't get that partner, if you don't fill in the blank, then you're not enough. And that belief that you're carrying is actually causing, it's the root system of this anxiety, this depression, this compulsion. And your God doesn't want you to be free of the thorn until you understand the belief that's unsustainable for you, the belief that's incongruent with your identity. So I'm just saying... I'm just saying, if something isn't going away, we got to listen to the, the wisdom of that pain before we expect the pain to resolve itself. Yeah. So I think amazing. numbing's a big part of that. So what, can you talk the Lazarus story and then we'll wrap it, pray for some people? Yeah, so when we think about how powerful numbing and distraction is in a situation like this, and we think about what does it look like for us as a community, for each other, for ourselves, for our brothers and sisters that are like in our communities and even for people outside of our communities, what does it look like to, to be a resource that interrupts 
interrupts that repetitive cycle, that cycle that keeps us stuck. There's this incredible picture, this is incredible story in Jesus's life that really, when I was doing my, my, my dissertation, it was really one of those like, oh my goodness, Jesus isn't afraid of our pain. Jesus isn't afraid of our fear and our doubt and our suffering and our addiction. There's this moment where Lazarus is sick. If you've been in church for a while, you've heard this story before. One of, of Jesus' best friends is this guy named Lazarus, and he's sick, and his disciples are saying, hey, we got word that Lazarus is sick. He's expected to die. We got to rush if we're going to help him. And Jesus says, actually, we're going to wait. We're going to wait because God's doing something here. And he actually turns, I think it's to Peter, and he says, God is going to deepen the foundation of your faith, so we can't, we can't save the day yet. Lazarus does die, and they eventually make their way to Judea where Lazarus is dead, and and they show up on the scene, and everybody is doing exactly what you would expect when somebody who is deeply loved dies. They're weeping. They're grieving the loss because Lazarus' story is over. And Jesus shows up, and he knows that they actually have the story wrong. He already knows that before this day is over, Lazarus is going to walk. He's going to wake up. He's going to be alive again. But before he rushes to that intervention, before he rushes to the solution, the reassurance, before he rushes to the fairy dusting, I like to say in my practice, we want to tell everybody it's going to be okay. Jesus actually gets down in the dirt and weeps. He weeps with Mary. Jesus, who knows that a Lazarus is about to wake up, allows himself to feel the sadness of losing him. He allows himself to enter into their pain. Because God knows that until I show you that I understand your suffering, your brain is not going to receive my reassurance. That yes, I bet he could have showed up. I bet he could have raised Lazarus from the dead. Everybody would have felt better, but their faith wouldn't have gotten the transformation that it could have gotten if he had the patience and the trust in God to say, I can let myself be brokenhearted with you to reassure you that that's not dangerous, that I see you, I get you, I understand your pain. I can let myself get down into the muck of your addiction first and be brokenhearted with you, your depression, your anxiety, I tell everybody, man, there is not a day that I, don't, I, that I go to work, that I, I enter into people's weeds, enter into people's mud, into their mess, that I am not drawing out of my own brokenness. Where 12, 13 years ago, I was in somebody's office, my therapist's office, saying, man, I thought God was going to use me, but it turns out I'm a fraud. I'm, I'm unfaithful, and I'm an, I'm an addict, and there's all these things going wrong in my life. And she said, all right, we'll see about those identities. Let's start, let's start with what, what you're going through. And she was able to hold hope for me. And every single time people come into my office, I am drawing on that. I'm saying, all right, we'll see. We'll see. You, you think you know the end of the story, but we'll see. And if we're afraid of our own pain, you can be sure that you're going to be afraid of other people's pain too. So our ability, our ability to make space, to name our suffering before we try and resolve it is our ability to lean on each other as a resource and to invite God into the suffering and say, okay, God, I'm not going to try and like be the solution here. I'm going to trust that you are going to work 
all things together for the good of those that love you. And you are going to use this addiction, this anger, this depression, this anxiety as a, a transformative pathway in my life. Does that make sense? Come on. You know, I, I, it's just about breaking some of those faux pas that it, honestly, as Christians, you know, we're family. And it's amazing how many times we want to just put on that face and pretend everything's okay. And I'm going to tell you, I'm gonna, we're going to, I'll have um, the good doctor pray for us. And then I'm going to bring up Pastor Alex just to, listen, if you've never met Jesus, we want to give you that opportunity. And then we're going to bring our ministry team up. And, you know, if you just want prayer for anything, hey, come down to the altar, get altered. Uh, you know, we have pastoral care, which is incredible at our church. We want to look after you. We want to, you know, it's not getting in your business. It's just exposing the enemy and getting us healthy as a congregation, exposing lies, leaning into truth, and helping one of us, each one of us. Because here's the thing, if we can't get healthy here, how are we going to help those in our neighborhood that don't know Jesus? And I really believe have, being an authentic Christian, exposing the lies, doing it together. We're not, we're not walking in here perfect. We all, got our, we all fall short. We all have sin. It's what we do in those moments of how we overcome. We are called to be overcomers. We are called to be the light of the world. But it, it, why do I, man, I always say, man, I wish church was Monday through Friday. I just need one night. Can I just go in? I need a worship night. I need a good message night. I, but we have podcasts for that. But that's why I encourage you. Go to DNA. Soak in a service. Serve in a service. Come on a Wednesday night. Expose all these thoughts that the world tries to get us to numb. And as Christians, we can no longer numb anxiousness, depression, doesn't mean we're weak. That's why we're going to come together. That's why I love men's prayer. On Tuesday, I just had a thought flash. I didn't even bring it up. Just, I want to go after diabetes. And a guy ran from the back of the room to the middle. And I thought to myself, that is the most boldness and 20 seconds of courage I've seen in a long time. Because it's easy to have all the internal life. He didn't even think about it he didn't give him he just ran saying i'm going to get my miracle and get healed right now and it was that bold faith that some people would say oh man that's some shame you look at that guy no 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 i was like it encouraged so many other men to come forward for prayer for healing and that's why we do men's prayer that's why women had over a hundred women at women's prayer it's creating an environment that we really believe the Word of God where it says you have not because you... And we build an environment. We start asking, God, reveal this. God, I'm struggling with this. My marriage isn't here. God, my kids are... I don't even know how to parent at this point. You know, it's like, what can we do? And as a community, iron sharpens iron. The devil gets exposed, and we help one another. We lift our brothers and sister up. That's what this is about. That's what makes relational equity. And if you need coaching, don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of it. It's not that you're weak. It's no, no, no. You want access to accelerate those areas because you're done with the blind spots. 
and let's expose those blind spots. Not all counselors are created equal. We'll point you in the right direction. I want them to be spirit-filled, that they got the Word of God on the inside of them, and that they understand clinical psychology. Those are, that's the magic in who this man is and friends of a feather flock together and he can help us. But Brian, would you pray for us today? Come on, let's all stand up to receive it. We're gonna have uh, the worship team lead us in something. Come on, Brian. God, we thank you that you refuse to leave us in our fear, that we can carry beliefs that are incongruent with what you say about us, about who we are in you, as your sons and daughters, and you refuse to let those fears go dormant and latent in our life and to act and limit our potential. And God, on a day like this, where you are calling us out, we thank you to have a home where we can wake up, we can wake up to who you are, to your power that is available to us in our life. And I pray for courage, I pray for faith, I pray for insight. I pray that as we are sitting here and if you are speaking to us and you're saying, man, you've been carrying something for too long, God, I pray that you would give us the courage to speak it out, to stand in agreement with who you are, to share it with another person, and to feel your Holy Spirit invade that fear and set us free. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.